They say when a baby is born, so is a mother. But while you are there to help your baby grow into the person he or she is meant to be, who is there to help you? Many women feel lost and alone when they become mothers, wondering, who am I now? Sometimes it feels like the transformation from woman to mother is as radical as a caterpillar's transformation into a butterfly. Did you know that inside the chrysalis, the caterpillar literally turns into goop before it rearranges itself into a butterfly? This podcast is about the goop, what soul transformation looks like as you transition from being a woman to a mom. Your baby's growth matters, but yours does too. You're not alone. I'm your host, Brittany Ming. Welcome to the Motherhood Metamorphosis. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Motherhood Metamorphosis. I'm your host, Brittany Ming, and today we're talking to Kathy Radigan. Kathy is a writer, blogger, mom to three, wife to one, and the one-time owner of a possessed appliance. She has fun exploring midlife, marriage, and raising teens, and and a college kid on her blog, My Dishwasher is Possessed, and sharing her experiences as a parent to a daughter with significant disabilities on The Special Needs Nest by Kathy Radigan. Welcome, Kathy. I'm so glad we're talking today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So I reached out to you because I have been following your pages for quite some time. And we've also talked on the phone many times as well. I really have appreciated your advice. Just talking about our kids. Yeah, because you've been on this path a little longer than I have. What I wanted to talk about. My way of saying I'm almost old enough to be your mother. But yes, almost. (laughs) So, but part of your story is that you had experienced pregnancy loss miscarriage before you ever became a mom and also I think because I'd asked you to come on and talk about loss and I think Mm -hmm. we can take that several different ways but I wanted you to be able to tell your story and how that has affected you as a woman and a mother such a dark time in my life um I you know always wanted babies and um I met my husband and I fell in love and you know we had kind of worked our way into deciding to have children we felt ready and we were married about three years and I got pregnant right away and I was so excited um I had never I mean I was just so happy I felt like the whole world had kind of just clicked for me all the things I had worked for and here I you know we lived in the city and I had my little cat and it was just my job was working out. It would probably be okay for me. I could work part-time and be home. And it was just all these things were, were coming together. Then I had a miscarriage. I, um, at 10 weeks, um, we had got, I was starting to have some discomfort. And so I went to my doctor. Oh, and then I started having, uh, they thought I had a bladder infection. So they would put me on antibiotics. And then um, I started having some spotting. So I called my doctor. We had, it was, I, it's so funny how you remember things because it was, you know, 24, 25 years ago. We were at the, you know, we lived on the Upper East Side and we had gone, um, there's the New York City Marathon. And so we had gone to see, you know, we always went to uh, watch the runners. So we had gone to breakfast, we watched the runners and I started having the spotting. So I called my doctor. He said, okay, we're not going to overly worry about this, but, you know, come in tomorrow. And I had a paper due. I was working. I was also going to school. So I was kind of trying to keep everything very normal, but um, I just didn't, I was so nervous and we went and I saw my baby and it looked like a baby, you know, it was 10 weeks. It had little arms and legs, but there was no heartbeat Mm -hmm. and it was just horrible. And we went through that loss 
And my husband and I, you know, we prayed at the thing and we, you know, we just, it was just so bad. Um, I was just, just heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I was heartbroken. I remember walking down the street of my beloved Manhattan. I had taken, you know, my company had given me a week off. And um, I just remember thinking like, I just, I don't want to live anymore, which sounds so funny or not funny, but like, you know, I had a great marriage. I had family. I had so much, but I didn't have this baby. And I wanted this baby so much. So we went through that and I was, you know, in my therapy and did everything you're supposed to do and got pregnant again in February. And again, I had a miscarriage. So, okay, you know, two, just a bad round of luck. The doctors decided they'd kind of, you know, they suggested I go to a um, fertility expert, but I, I said, no, I don't need that. So they, well, we'll just keep an eye on you. So they did that and they were doing blood tests and got pregnant again, had another miscarriage. Then I was right to the fertility doctor. Did the fertility doctor, did all the tests, do all the genetic stuff. And um, they're like, oh, I probably just need a little, we'll just do, you know, a little Clomid and, you know, a little timed sex and we'll see how it goes. I got pregnant again and then um, had a chemical pregnancy, you know, just really quickly. It was, on, it was during Christmas. It was horrible. And by that point, I had just had it. I mean, I just had it. I was as low as I could go. Um, Joe and I stayed very close, but I, you know, we had moved out of my beloved Manhattan um, during the third pregnancy. Uh, we were in Queens, which I really didn't want to be in. And so now I'm not in Manhattan, I'm in Queens in this house with a room that we painted blue, you know, baby blue for baby. I mean, babies and moms all over the place and the place that we were redoing the home. So the Home Depot Expo was right next to Babies Are Us. And it felt like it was just like, you can't have this, you can't have this, you can't have this. So I was just, and I was getting more and more angry and, uh, you know, going through the, fertility doctor and things were just you know one didn't go two didn't go they did another biopsy and um it looked like my levels were just not I, I was going to need more intensive therapy and by this point my husband said I, I think we're, we're out we're done this is I, I you know I feel like we're in Vegas every month you know rolling the dice and seeing you know if we're gonna hit and I was not sure how I felt about that, but I had come to, I had decided to do a little prayer vigil, which I've done before. And it's, I'm not overly religious, but I am a spiritual person. And I had gone to church by my um, office. I worked on Park Avenue. And um, so it was basically St. Bartholomew's, I think is where I was basically at. And I would pray there every day for 30 days. And I wasn't pregnant. We had decided we would try one more time. And if not, we would, you know, three strikes are out. I wasn't pregnant. I joined a choir. <laughs> I got a little more comfortable in the house. Um, things at work had kind of shifted. So I was happier at my job. And I was like, all right, you know, I guess this just isn't meant to be. And, you know, we started thinking about adoption and we started, you know, putting our ducks in a row and um, we started to try to have a little fun. I remember we went to a cat show <laughs> in the city because we had our little cat and uh, you know, we were just trying I was just you know, having fun my sister was getting married so I was really involved in that and the next month I was pregnant 
And, you know, I went to the doctor with my pregnancy test in my hand going, I only had sex once this month. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and that baby stayed. And the doctor, she's like, I'm putting you on progesterone, but purely because I want to feel like I have something to do with this because, you know, and I got pregnant and it was, oh, it was great. I mean, I was terrified, but it was great. But those losses, it was such a bleak time. And I, I now look at it that it was this really weird gift, not losing the babies, but what I learned from it, because when I had my son and my two other children, um, I always remember, but I remember one time my son was crying and I was tired and my husband worked all the time. So I was alone and I hadn't quite made friends yet. And I was feeling so like the world on top of me, you know, motherhood was so new. It was completely different than my life before. And I thought, you know what? You would have, you would trade your best pre-Tom day for your worst day with baby Thomas. And I was like, you're right. I would. I just, you know, I just loved him and I loved being his mother and I loved motherhood. It was just something that I, I felt like I was good at. I never felt, you know, I was a competent person. I was an assistant, executive assistant, and I was competent and I was, you know, a good friend and, you know, I, had, I did, you know, volunteer work and stuff. I was good at that, but this, I was really, this I was made for. And that's what those losses kind of showed me. And it prepared me for the next journey of my life, which was, you know, having kids with issues and then having my daughter with such significant issues. And I think, again, had I not been through all of that, I don't think I would have been prepared to deal with my kids. Plus, I always knew, like, Joe and I, I felt like we really wanted kids. <laughs> like, we really worked for them. They were here. And um, they were our priority. And they've been my, our priority for, you know, 20, Tom just turned 23 in December. So, yeah. And how old are your, is your other son and your daughter? My daughter is just turned 20 and my baby is um, 16. He's going to be 17 in April, but I don't like to say that word. So he's 16. He's only 16. He will stay 16 until the day before he turns 17. Until the, the day of. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Until the day of. I liked what you said about how the loss and that time prepared you for the next stage. Can you talk about that and how that has shaped your life? Like before you have this time, before you became a mother, you had all these significant losses and then you've had some other challenges too, as you've become a mother. So can you tell us about that? Well, yeah, I think the losses, the, the losses of the, the pregnancies um, did help because, you know, I felt so different and unhappy and not life was not fair and I felt all those things so when when Thomas first I, I myself am dyslexic and um had sensory issues as a kid I mean there's you know stories family stories of me and my antics so when my son started to display that stuff I was kind of like okay I I I'm, see now I know why I went through all that because I'm the perfect mother for this kid and I'm gonna help him through and you know it was challenging but you know we got him through and, and I felt like, okay, I can do this. I can do anything. I'm superwoman. And then I had my daughter and she was six weeks old. I was nursing her, you know, I was in the bed with my husband and I'm just cooing with her. And just, I had this like profound, like this charge went through my body. I've never had this before or after. 
And I just, I, I started to cry and I just knew something was really, really wrong with Lizzie. Not just like, you know, garden variety, as I call them, garden variety things. Something was really wrong with her. And I said to Joe, you know, I'm, I'm like, something's, I woke him up. I'm like, something's wrong with the baby. I know something is really wrong with the baby. She's not looking at me right. Something, I just, something's wrong. And my husband, thank goodness, was like, okay, if you say something's wrong, something's wrong. Well, you know, we'll find out. And, you know, that was just like almost like seven years or oh, 20 years, really, but seven very hard years of trying to find out what was wrong with Elizabeth. And, you know, we had gone to the, you know, her pediatrician who said, yeah, I see what you mean. I get where you're saying she's not completely looking. Let's go to a pediatric eye doctor. Yeah, you know, oh, I see what you're saying, but oh, everything looks okay. And we'll just keep following her. And, you know, she would make strides. She sat up, actually. She sat up faster than her brothers and she crawled faster than her brothers and she walked faster than her brothers, but she wasn't making sounds and... She looked frequently in her own world and I, you know, automatically thought this must be autism, but we're looking through everything. I'd already been through the autism scare with uh, Thomas because he had sensory issues and stuff. And I would have been fine if someone just gave me a name, like, okay, this is a, but nobody could give me a name. Nobody could say, oh yes, this is because it just, not, she wasn't fitting into any category. And, you know, she would make progress and then she would not make progress. First, it turned out she had like an ear issue. She had been having unbeknownst to me, she had been having all these ear infections. And even though I was at the pediatrician every other week with her saying there's something wrong, she's having, you know, she's running these fevers. Um, every time they looked in her ears, they said, no, it's fine. But the way her ears were built, fluid was collecting, they couldn't see it. And so by the time I went to two, when she went to two, um, they were so clogged that they had to scrape it out. So I thought, okay, I found it. I found it. Yay, we found it. And she was, you know, more responsive. And but I had made an appointment with a, a uh, neurologist when before we had the ears, because it takes a few months. And I filled out all my packet and vouchers. And so I was like, well, I might as well stay. You know, I, she was already in early intervention. And I was like, well, I'll keep the appointment. And he looks at her, and he's like watching her, and he goes, you know, I don't recommend um, an MRI for every kid at two, but um, I'm worried about her. I don't like the way her eyes um, are spaced. I see some markers for some things and I want her to have an MRI. And like, it was two feelings. One, I was terrified, but two, I was like, oh, thank God, I am not the only one that sees something that's really wrong with this kid. Because people were starting to think it was me. You know, like maybe, I, I think, you know, I, mean, I don't know if Joe and I had started going to, or we had started going to a marriage counselor around that time because, um, the stress of everything was just getting to us. And so we had done like a short-term therapy. And I remember the therapist saying to me, you know, you have to relax, the baby's fine. You know, may, you know, Thomas is gonna be fine. Elizabeth will be fine. Look at these pictures, they're beautiful. And my own therapist was like, you know, you're doing everything you can, you have to relax. And people were like, you know, go on medication, which I had already gone on. <laughs> And then her MRI came back and it showed there was this profound damage to the white matter. And, you know, the, the horrible diagnoses were being um, not just 
diagnosis of her development, but I mean, like, you know, like she would be dead within a certain amount of period of time. Thankfully that, you know, she didn't have um, those. She has something called leukodystrophy, which all that really means is that there's damage to the white matter. There's, you know, damage. Um, and then there's a million different types of leukodystrophy. Some are quite awful, but they can turn on at any time. So right now she's static. Um, her damage has not changed and it's possible that might always be the case or it could, um, you know, turn on and she could get sick. So I was always being told to look out for regressions and she would have these huge regressions and these huge, like she was screaming, oh God, she would scream and scream and scream for hours. And it wasn't even like, she wasn't up and she wasn't asleep. She was just like in this half state and she would just, and I'd be there trying to get her to sleep and she'd be screaming. And I guess when she was five, she had to go for, um, a test for seizures because they started wondering if these were like a behavior seizure and we're there at the hospital and we have the the bed closest to the window and there was another little girl also being tested you know they have their heads full of electrodes and you have to be there for 48 hours and so <laughs> lizzie's crying screaming I, I, I not crying screaming at the top of her lungs and i'm feeling awful because this little girl is there and the nurse was coming in and out to help me. And what would happen is Lizzie would have these and then she would just stop. Like she would just stop and go to sleep. And the nurse, Lizzie's screaming full throttle. The nurse is walking in. She opens the curtain and Lizzie stops. And the nurse goes, Mrs. Radigan, did you do anything to make Elizabeth stop? <laughs> and I just started laughing. I'm like, no, but I totally get why you're saying that. You know, and that's, and she would do that kind of stuff. She'd be up for like 48 hours or 72 hours and she'd be better than she ever was. She'd talk more, you know, I would call into school and say, well, she's still not sleeping. So I'm keeping her home. And they're like, oh my gosh, is she okay? I'm like, okay, do you need your roof re-shingled? Cause I can send her there. <laughs> and then she would just like, she'd be, she would do this in school. She would just run around like on no sleep. And then she would just crash and, and just be out. So, you know, more specialists, more doctors, more, you know, there's always more therapies. And we started to get to a point where we were like, you know, we're not getting any answers. We, we need to at least live. You know, I, we couldn't go out anywhere. She'd be screaming. She couldn't remember. The worst was we were at Applebee's with the kids and she starts screaming. So I take her in the bathroom. She's screaming, I want my mother. I want my mother. And I'm like, I'm your mother. Thankfully, I look just like her. But she didn't even remember it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm, you know, someone's gonna think I'm kidnapping this child. Um, you know, she hardly talked. It was just, it was awful. So we started just kind of dealing with the symptoms. And we that's when we were lucky enough, we had gone to a neurologist in the city. And um, he said, you know, uh, why don't we get you guys to a psychopharmacologist and see if we can do something with medicine. And we found just an angel, an angel of a doctor who is no longer with us, but she was just fabulous. And she listened to me and said, gee, that sounds an awful lot like an adult bipolar. And of course me in my infinite wisdom in my two years of college and acting school go, um, oh no, it's not, it's, it's not bipolar in children because I've read up on that and it doesn't seem anything like that. She's like, no, I'm not saying child bipolar, I'm saying an adult bipolar. Meanwhile, my husband's dying because he's just so tired of me shooting off my mouth, <laughs> you know, when we're at you know, the Harvard educated doctor. And um, 
and but she was great and she'd always say like no kathy has the best instincts and joe's like stop don't encourage her stop encouraging her you don't understand because then i like she would just like the doctors would just talk to me and again i thought that was like back to the losses because it was during the losses when i would you know research things and call different hospitals and find out and so like through the losses, I became more of an advocate for myself. And then I could turn that to the kids. So, mm. you know, I was comfortable talking to doctors. I was comfortable, you know, dealing with that. You know, it, it helped me. It helped me with the teachers. I, you know, I was able to make friends with the teachers and the therapists and use my odd sense of humor. Thankfully, we got help, but it was horrible. Those seven years were the worst. I mean, they were just so horrible. She, we, you know, we'd have to leave, you know, Christmas with my family. It was just, it was just so bad and it was just really bad. So the medicine helped. And then of course, you know, it wasn't like the medicine, whoa, it's over, but that's certainly, at least we were on some sort of path and a doctor that would help. And sometimes the expression is forever mother, or, you know, you'll, they'll always be your child. I mean, all my children are my children forever, but Lizzie was not going to leave the nest in the traditional way. You know, she'll be with us and at 20, you know, we're doing the guardianships, planning for her life when she ages out of the district, which is a year and a half. And, you know, trying to figure out what her life is going to look like as an adult and how we're going to deal with that because she needs so much help. You know, she really does. I mean, she's capable of things, but she loses, she gets lost in, in her mind. And, you know, so just taking a shower by herself isn't possible. And, and lately, you know, she's 20 and there is a side of her that is 20. And she's like, you know, you're the worst mother in the world and I don't want your help. And then one time I was really bad and I'm like, fine, fine. You don't want my help. And then she's like, it took her a while to get dressed. She's like, I can't believe, you know, you left me. And, you know, she told her psychiatrist and Lizzie, I mean, I it make it seem like Lizzie can talk a lot. She says things, but it, it's very hard, but it's funny when she says these things. Um, and she was like, you know, I said, well, Lizzie, tell the doctor what you told me, you know, about me being a horrible mother. She's a horrible mother. <laughs> Why is she a horrible mother? Because she forces me to take a shower and get up. Horrible. <laughs> so like, I was like, okay, well then I guess, you know, you need, she wants more autonomy. Well, how do you do this? Like, how do you do autonomy with someone who you still have to make sure that she's clean and make sure, you know, how do you manage this? So that's what we're doing now. Yeah. So I've seen some of the videos that you posted online with you and her. And I love that one, she looks just like you. You're just <laughs> mother and daughter. And two, like I see so much joy in your relationship with her. And I think that's really beautiful. But I know that that joy has probably been a journey for you because you've had to go through maybe a shift in your dream of what you thought it might be to have a daughter? Yeah, it's been a complicated journey because, you know, at first I was trying to, you know, solve the problem. If I could only solve the problem, then she could, you know, be who she's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And okay, well, nothing is working. And then I went through a period where, you know, she can be very, um, you know, in her own world. And I kind of was like, okay, you know, if that's the way it's going to be. And I would try very hard to get in there. She, you know, she loves dolls and stuff. So I would try that or the princess stuff. 
But um, the real change came when um, about five years ago, they put her on lithium and that somehow did something um, to kind of connect her a bit more to the world. And so she was a little more connected to me. And at first I was very nervous because I was like, I've been down this road before and I'm not gonna be hopeful. And I remember she had gone to her, the doctor that we see now, the doctor goes, well, now Elizabeth says she doesn't always feel like she belongs. I looked at the doctor and I known her for about like maybe six months at this point. And I'm like, that's not true. <laughs> My daughter did not say that to you. And she's like, she did, Kathy. I'm like, no, she did not. And Lizzie talks a lot in, uh, um, like she, she scripts, but she scripts very appropriately and she'll put the script in a way to talk to you. She also uh, started getting into heavy metal music and she would start singing these lyrics and they were very profound. And I realized that that's what she was telling us. She was telling us that she was, she understood that she was different. Cause even in school, she's different, you know, um, the kids that, um, had autism, you know, some of them could talk and some of them could do other things. And Lizzie was very, you know, she's, you know, she's kind of of the world and a part of the world. She's, you know, spends, it's very strange, the kind of place she's in. And, but as I started to kind of relax a little and I started crying, I'm like, I'm not going down this road again. I'm not gonna, you know, think that I, we can have any kind of real relationship. And the doctor was like, um, well, we can hold the best for her. You know, we can hold that place for her. That's okay. You know, you can allow that. But I started letting her kind of holding the place that the highest part of her was always there. We were together for dinner and my husband was still commuting at the time. So it was just the kids and I at dinner or in the dining room table. And my son had just started school and he was talking about falling down in the parking lot and a girl helped him and went to the car and Lizzie, we, we thought was out of it. And Lizzie's like, what kind of car does she drive? <laughs> oh, well, that, that makes sense. She's like, you know, what color hair did she have? Was she pretty? And we're like, <laughs> you know, and, and my son always says, you know, like whenever Elizabeth talks, like we're all stop. And cause we're like, oh, we have her. Okay, we have her. And then we're like, you know, okay, she's here, she's here. And then she's back out. But I'm learning to, I think I've, I've learned to live with that, that that's who she is fallen in love with her all over again. I've always loved her, but I think, you know, the fact that she has to go through so much to communicate to this world and, you know, she works so hard. I do. I love her. I love being with her. She's really funny. She's a trip. Um, you know, she does frequently tell me she hates me, but, um, I really like that. You know, I know people don't understand that, but I'm like, that's fabulous. I mean, I don't say that's fabulous to her. I, I obviously say, oh, I'm not going to be spoken to that way, but inside I'm hysterical laughing. But so it's learning also how to communicate with her and how she communicates, but yeah, there is joy. Yeah. Something struck me when you were talking about Lizzie, how you said when she, when the therapist said, um, this is what she said. And you're like, no, 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 I can't go down that path again. It was like, you had this hope that you couldn't trust in hope of having a different kind of relationship that you had longed for. And I yes. see that maybe as the same type of fear and hope combination that you might've felt trying to try for another baby. Oh, ding, 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 ding. Oh, Brittany, that's brilliant. So, right. But I think that as mothers, like that fear almost becomes like a security blanket because hope feels mm. almost too painful to yes. reach for. 
And you're going to make me cry, which is not an easy feat. Yes, yes, yes. Hope is too hard. It's too yeah. hard. And I think I'm sometimes not- we think, oh, all these like fluffy things like, oh, faith, hope, and love. Like that's what I'm standing on. Like sometimes that can be the hardest thing to keep reaching for as a Oh, mom. I used to hate it. My mother would be like, well, we have to keep faith. And I'd be like, yeah, you keep faith. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes you know, and, I, I, and I remember having that uh, that discussion to her also during the pregnancy. She'd be like, you know, I mean, when I was, you know, I think after my fourth or uh, fourth miscarriage, my fifth was that, that's right. I always say five. My fifth miscarriage was my son, Thomas, was originally a twin pregnancy. Mm. Yeah. So even in that pregnancy, there was loss. You know, mm-hmm. there was just loss, 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 loss. Um, but I remember my mom was like, uh, you know, she told me someone was pregnant. This is right after my fourth miscarriage. She's like, see, you just have to have hope. And I'm like, yeah, no. And sometimes no. that's just too hard. Like, and I think that sometimes you don't have to hold on to hope when you can't. And I think other people can hope yeah. for us and they can hold on to that for us. If we can't have faith and we can't have hope and we're just trying to survive in that season. And I think gradually we can regain hope and faith for ourselves, but we need those people to bolster us up sometimes. At least that's been the case in my life when I have felt like I'm drowning and I can't move forward or I'm so fearful. There's always been like a person there. Like when I was in the deepest parts of the thing with, you know, when I found out yet again that my, you know, the biopsy wasn't good and I probably wasn't going to be able to, you know, do this. Um, you know, there was a woman on the bus that happened to be at that time. Um, and she just, you know, we just started talking. And like, after that conversation, I was like, oh, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try one more month. And then, you know, I'm going to go, go on a vigil. And I'm like, and it was just like a, a switch. I never saw the woman again, or I saw the woman like one more time when I was pregnant, but like, it wasn't like she became a friend or anything, but it was like, and that was the same thing, like during Elizabeth's time, like something like, you know, the right doctor would come or the right friend would come or I'd read the right book or I'd get a feeling. But the hope thing, yes. I mean, Lizzie was a good 15, 16 when, when I started to um, start hoping again. And then when she, yeah, about five years ago, she went through another really rough time. We had to shift her to upper meds. And I remember, you know, I've put on weight since basically with Elizabeth, the distress of everything. I used to kid that, you know, I could tell, I could tell you every bad time that Lizzie had, or one of the boys from like how much weight, like, okay, these five pounds was from this time, this five pounds was from this time. But when Lizzie was going through this really rough time um, about five years ago, I remember saying to the doctor, I finally hit the time where I can't eat anymore. Like I was just under so much stress. It was so bad. She, it was so bad. And thankfully the medication helped, but I'm okay hoping now. And even looking at her, I don't have, I mean, there's maybe momentary little sadness here and there. I mean, I have a niece that's six weeks older than Lizzie and she's in college and stuff. And sometimes I'll get a little down that Lizzie's path isn't like that. But then I think like, well, but Lizzie's Lizzie, you know, and it's just, you know, she'll have her own life. I mean, I am nervous about, you know, where we're, going to happen after school and but I keep trying to reframe it in my mind that you know we will figure this out she will figure this out you know we will we will try to have her guide us the best she can the princess that she is (laughs) 
but yeah, no, you're, you, you really put the, the nail on the head with the hope thing, because yes, and I think um, if you can't be hopeful right now, I agree, just, then just do what you can to get by. Yeah, I think okay. that, I think that transitions really great into like our last question of what would you tell another woman who's walking maybe a path of loss, whatever that looks like, what would you tell her if, she, if everybody's around her telling her, you need to hold on to hope, you need to hold on to faith. And she feels like, oh, here's another thing I'm failing at because I can't seem to hold on to that. Just, it's okay. If you can feel the crappy feelings, feel them. You know, I've never been great at that, but um, maybe just hang on to whatever you can. If you're close with your husband or you have a friend or you have something, hang on to that. And, you know, I, I mean, I do find thinking about my, what I have, my, what I'm grateful for does help, but in that depth of despair, you know, the fact that I had Joe and, you know, we both had jobs and we, you know, were happy and wasn't that much of a, you know, it was like, but I don't have this. And I think I had to just go through that muck. You know, you have to walk through the muck and mm -hmm. who wants to walk through muck? And I, I especially don't. So, you know, I'm looking for things to put on the muck, you know, a new doctor or do this, you know, whatever I can do. And sometimes you just have to walk through the muck. Mm -hmm. um, and trust and and even if that trust is just okay i'm gonna just do the one you know I'll, I'll go to work or i'll you know hop on my support group or i'll do something and just hope trust that maybe you know the answer's out there at some point but you don't have to listen to the you know i realize people just say these things because they're you know they don't know what else to say but you know it, it also comes a time when you're going through a lot of loss people just don't know what to say to you you know, they, you're, you're scaring them, especially if you're just like them. They don't want to be by you. You know, they don't want to know you because you're just like them. And if you, if Kathy could have five miscarriages, well, so could I. You know, if Kathy could have a daughter with such significant issues, well, then so could I. So, you know, you, you start getting cut off from people. They don't want to hear your pain and you don't want to keep bothering them. So what would I tell someone else? If you're listening to this and you're in a lot of pain, know that you know there are people who were in that muck before you and they got out and that you'll get out too yeah and hopefully somebody will you know call crawl in the muck with you and help you out yeah i like how you talked about earlier that there are moments of light like that conversation that you had with the lady on the bus right or the doctor that was specifically encouraging whatever it may be like I think maybe just observing that hey that was a moment in my life that I felt a little lighter and I think that those can almost be like touchstones that we can yeah. say okay like here I am and I feel a little lighter in this moment because of that conversation or because you know I took a deep breath while I watched the sunset or whatever moment of beauty those moments can get us through to the next touchstone yeah. and I don't think that they always hold us up but they keep us from sinking down further perfectly said so yeah I really appreciate you telling your story and the levity that you bring because you have been through a lot and I love hearing your humor in it too so and especially if you are new to Kathy you need to follow her dishwasher is possessed blog because it's hilarious so <laughs> 
All right. I like to end our time with these 10 rapid fire questions and they're yeah. just for fun. So, all right. I can't wait to hear your answers on these. Which Disney princess would you want to take out for coffee? Cinderella. Cinderella. Yeah. She's got to do something with those mice, open up a boutique enough with waiting for the prince. That's right. That's right. She's fabulous. What's one thing you must have on your nightstand? Lip gloss. Your go-to treat after the kids go to bed. And your kids are older. So maybe maybe now or maybe like when they were little, what was the thing you had to have when they went to bed? Chocolate or coffee. Are you, are you a late night coffee drinker? Oh, I'll drink coffee anytime. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be up anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's great. An ordinary moment that brings you great joy. Hearing my kids. Any, you know, hearing their voices. So schmaltzy, but it's true. Yes. The last show you binged and loved. Last show I binged, I just finished binging Hacks, which I thought was good, but I can't say I loved it. So I'm trying to think of the last one I binged and loved. Gonna lose me. So I'll say that, Hacks, but it wasn't. It wasn't your favorite. Yeah. No. It was good. Yeah. If you run out of this, you have to go to the store. Lip gloss. <laughs> You're like, gotta have the lip gloss. No, I'm the same. Yeah. And coffee. And coffee. Yes. My husband the other day, I said, Do you have any chapstick? And he's like, Oh, I have the secret stash. And I'm like, How do you have a secret stash? And he's like, I have one. And so he hooked me up with some more chapstick. My husband keeps secret stashes too. Not yeah. lip gloss. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm on my own. That's right. <laughs> My husband's at work and he's hearing me. And he said, yes, he does keep the stash of lip gloss. <laughs> Who makes you laugh? My husband. Yes. And my kids. Yeah. My husband does too. Sometimes I tell him, I'm like, if you weren't around, I wouldn't laugh every day. If he's like, yes. He's like, no. Oh, totally. No, my husband, totally, 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 totally. I, you know, he hears this, which is not good. Cause now he's going to hold that over my head. But yes, he is. Yeah, he does. He makes me laugh every day. That's right. That's why yeah. we stay together because we're friends and we have kids together. So we better get along. No. Yes. Yeah. And we're, we're married. We're almost married 29 years. Oh, that's so, that's so great. I love that. All right. Next question. When you were five years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? A mom and an actress and a writer. Wow. Well, you've got two of those. And have you, have you done any acting? I did. Yeah, I did. I that's did great. Something. What are you looking forward to? another day another day all right last one finish this sentence motherhood is messy but really really worth it that's beautiful thank you so much for listening today if you'd like to follow kathy you can find her on facebook at the special needs nest by kathy radigan and also find her at my dishwashers possessed thank you so much kathy i loved our conversation today thank you Hey friends, thank you so much for listening to this episode today. I hope it encouraged you and gave you some good food for thought. If you're loving this podcast, I love if you could write a review in Apple Podcasts or leave some stars in Spotify. These reviews mean so much to me and they also help boost the show so new listeners will find the podcast too. I'd also love to have you join us over on our Facebook page. You can find it by searching for the Motherhood Metamorphosis Podcast. Finally, you can dig in deeper into the podcast by becoming a Patreon supporter. For this summer, I'm really excited about the special bonus gift for $5 a month supporters. It's a free audible download of my book, Unexpected, Learning to Love, Your Unpredictable Story. The book is narrated by me, and let me tell you, it was a labor of love, and I may never, ever narrate another audiobook again. 
But for anyone who has said they like my podcast voice, here you go. A whole book of me podcast voicing. $3 per month patrons will also receive access to a really pretty instant download printable that says be kind to yourself, which I don't know about you, but I need that reminder in my head on the daily. You can find the Patreon account at Patreon slash The Motherhood Metamorphosis. Thank you again for listening and for all your support of this podcast. If you ever have any questions, comments, or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, please email me at Brittany A. Ming at gmail.com.